I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Cypersibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnut, and with me today is Pete Martin, Head of Strategy at Always Be Content. And we're going to be discussing how to successfully promote your commitment to sustainability. Welcome to the podcast, Pete. Uh, good evening. Good evening. How are you doing? Good evening. We were just having the debate about when is it okay to say good evening to someone. I think it's worth referencing that on the podcast. It's something we all struggle with. I think there's a cutoff. I think the cutoff is five o'clock. What do you think, Pete? I think, yeah, five, five o'clock, five thirty, you know, any, as soon as, as soon as you feel able to open a bottle of gin and have a gin and tonic on a Friday evening, I think that's probably the evening, isn't it? <laughs> you heard it here first. Don't say you don't learn anything from this podcast because we've just learned something there. Pete, do you want to take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners and explain what it is you do at Always Be Content? Well, if you went back in history, I'm really a copywriter. Um, So I started my career doing spelling and grammar. And I've been a creative director, both here and in New York, and certainly agency director. And anybody who's been in the agency game for a long time will understand that the agency model has changed. So the big old uh, sort of lumbering agency style doesn't really work anymore. So we started again with a new agency, a bit of a, a bit of a different take on it. And um, the jokes in the name really with always be content or always be content. So it was to try and one, to make ourselves happy, two, to make our clients happy and three, to make their customers happy by producing a sort of stellar content. So that, that was, that's the sort of way we, we, way we approached it. We're a, we're a global team of experienced strategists, creative professionals. We've got people in uh, Edinburgh, London and New York. We do most things, to be honest. You know, in the old world, we record ourselves a full service agency, but fundamentally, all we're trying to do is what's right for the client, um, and that sort of means looking after the customers first. Um, and indeed, what we're about to talk about is you know looking after the wider world. So we see that as a, you know sustainable as an opportunity for, uh, for for our clients rather than a cost. So you know, I think it's important that it, that marketing looks at the sort of wider world, and that's one of the things why we're. Um, why well, we're always talking about you know sustainability and um, you know environmental and social and governance obligations and what we're going to chat about right now, I hope. Yeah, and I really love the name. So I was worried that I might get it wrong, but um, it's always be content and not. Uh, well, I guess it, is it is it right or wrong? Or is it up for interpretation? It's it's, up, it's absolutely any way you want to see it. In, in in reality, most of our clients refer to us as ABC, yeah, <laughs> which is a, which sort of makes life a bit easier. But um, I'm not even sure how I pronounce it. To be honest, um, always be content. Always be content. I, I don't know. Maybe one or the, it's one or the other. You know, it's um it's masterful copywriting though, and I'm already piecing together the dots of some of your career and interest in copywriting and. As we're talking about in a, in a moment, the marketing communications side of sustainability, eco friendliness, environmental friendliness. So we'll get we'll get to that in a moment. What I'm really interested in is that as we speak today, the topic of eco friendliness of sustainability it is such a hot topic. It's something that all brands, at least on the surface, talk about and aspire to do better within. However, you launched Always Be Content back in 2017 where you started, I suspect, to spot and consider this trend and these trends a little bit more. And I'm really interested to know what led you to launch the agency and has the world changed in the way that you had anticipated between 2017 and now in 2021? That's a, that's a really good question, Scott. I mean, I think 
I was hope I was hoping that my answer to this would be a little bit more authentic than trend spotting. <laughs> to be honest, um, I mean, in in reality, the reason the reason we started the agency was was twofold, and I was only half joking when I said the aim was to be content in our work because you know mm-hmm. that, you've got that classic thing where. Um, yeah, I was working in a big agency environment. I'd worked in there for, you know, the best part of um, however many decades. And they just, as far as I was concerned, they just didn't want to change. You know, mm-hmm. the world was, as I could see the world was changing. I could see clients' needs were changing. I didn't think they wanted to change. And, you know, and I got, so, I, I suppose I got fed up with the sound of my own voice <laughs> and of saying, this is how I think we should do it. And said, well, let's just go and do it the way I think it should be done and see what happens. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't really that cynical to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the, the interest in sustainability sp- spreads from a couple of things. If, if, again, if you went back in time, um, and I, I get, again, it wasn't an intentional thing, but um, I've got quite a lot of energy experience, worked with quite a lot of large energy providers in the UK. I've worked for both um, SSE and um, British Gas, who, who were the biggest of the, of the two in the big six. And you know, whatever, whatever else people think about energy companies, you'd be surprised how, um, how focused they are on trying to do the right thing and how, how they're focused they are on trying to be more sustainable. And particularly SSE, if you went back to the post-war period, they, they built all the hydro dams in the UK. So, you know, in the, in the sort of late, late 40s, early 50s, and which is the first sort of major form of renewable energy we had in the UK. And that sort of accounted for, you know, it might have been about 10% of the UK's um, en- energy output. And what, what the, the challenge for the energy companies was, was always trying to sort of square the circle where no matter how more efficient they got at making energy, the public found new ways to use it. So the, the demand for energy just kept on, kept on growing. <laughs> you know, we bought, we bought new tellies, we bought new, you know, computers, we bought all kinds of things. And on the one hand, we're installing your know, low energy light bulb, and on the other hand, we're, we're trying to, we're starting to buy electric cars um, that, that demand electricity. So, so, out of that background of knowing what the, the, the genuine challenges are, and I'll, I'll use this phrase a number of times, at an industrial scale. Um, you know, this is an industrial scale problem. So knowing, knowing, knowing a lot about the background of that, we naturally attracted people who were interested in that. And guys like Andrash, who works for us, and Craig, um, they're very passionate about it. They know a lot about the energy market. They know a lot about energy, but they're also fully aware of the sort of industrial scale problems that come with it. Um, and that leads you naturally on to a lot of the wider issues. I mean, you talked about, you know, is you know, when this when this topic was was heating up. I mean, again, it, it's not really a joke because the world is genuinely heating up, <laughs> and you know, it is. And th- this is the thing that's difficult to explain to. I keep on saying the man in the street, but the man and the woman in the street, mm-hmm. where um, you know you say the the world is getting hot, and say, but is it really? You know, and but, but it's like switching on an oven. You know, we've we've actually turned on the oven, and it, the, it's not really really going to heat up for till for about fifty years, and then we'll then then we'll find it. But we have switched it on. That's quite an important thing for people to understand. That mm-hmm. you know, unless we unless we change. The, the sort of the state, the sort of the steady state we're in now, the trajectory forward is is really difficult. Um, you know, if if, if anybody was was watching COP twenty six, and I'm, I'm I'm not foolish enough to believe that people were <laughs> avid, avidly avidly glued to it, but um, the commitment to try and keep the the global heating to to one and a half degrees is really good. But in re- but in reality, the trajectory is two degrees, and if if you want to go and Google what the what the long term effects of a two degree warming on the on the world are it's it's really quite frightening you know mm. major there will be major cities inundated with water and and again you, you think it's one of these the, the law of silly numbers where you say well what difference does a couple of degrees make and it, it makes a difference between when you step out of your door and there's ice on there's ice on the pavement and to there being water on the pavement and when and when when you apply that at a, at a mass scale to the the sheets of, of ice in, in in the world to, to the amount of ice that's the water that's stored in ice and um, a couple of degrees makes a difference between having you know having having glaciers and having having a lot of water trapped and when that water's not trapped there it expands it goes into the oceans it warms the oceans it ends up we'll, we'll have major cities inundated with water coasts at great risk um a hugely different cycle of rain and um and weather um and that will disrupt all kinds of um you know we'll have parts of the world where there is no water we'll have mass migration you know the, there's 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 a bit of evidence i think unfortunately in my view the british public's got a view about immigration um and if they think a little bit of migration now is bad we'll wait till they see, till they see what happens when um 
when you know the, the huge parts of the world become unsustainable. So I think that there are. I know that sounds terribly gloomy and doomy and all the rest of it, but these are these are some of the realistic um, challenges. And, and one of the great failures of of the sustainability world has be, has been, you know, the scientists' inability to communicate that to people in any way that they're they're willing to listen to or to accept. Mm. Um, and as communicators and as copywriters, we it's sort of it's in our gift to say, well, how would how should we talk about this? And and. And I know I did start on a sort of on a sort of like trying to paint that paint that scenario, but the rea- the reality is there are there are things that can be there are things that can be done, and there are things that are being done. They're just not being done fast enough, or with enough commitment, or with enough scale to address the problem. And one one of the things we thought about with the sort of dare to care thing was really trying to reframe it for people to understand that what we're at here is it's not so much a a fight to preserve a current lifestyle, but it's actually a new type of a new, new type of industrial revolution. Really, you know, trying to move from the gas and the coal and the, the petrol age into a new era of renewable energy. You know, when when this when there's so there's there's loads of there's loads of wind, there's loads of sun. You know, we don't often get it here in Scotland, <laughs> to be honest. But um, you know, there's there's loads of the world has has got solar power. The technology for heat pumps and all the rest it it exists. It has existed since for a very long time, probably since the sixties. You know, we should definitely be powering up to do this. But it is an industrial scale problem. It is probably it is at the government level. There's a lot that business can do. I mean, business really has to take the lead in this. I think more than and we can come on we can come on to this i think there's a lot of you know it's a, it's a little bit like nuclear disarmament i think you know where yes the pre- the pressure can come from the public and the public can talk about it and be concerned about it but in reality the levers of change are not in, are not really in the public's hands um they're 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 in the hands of government and business and it's and it's important that people understand that much as you know much as as, as it's it's good to recycle and it's good to use less energy in your own home and all the rest of it the real big challenges come from from a, a government and business level. Mm. You were talking there about the scientists' messaging perhaps being diluted by the time it makes its way to the public. That's how I interpreted a part of what you've just said there. And what I'm interested to know is that since 2017, when you launched Always Be Content, and today, do you think we're in a better place today? in terms of the clarity of the scientific messaging that makes its way through marketing to the public or is copywriting and the messaging muddier than ever to to some extent I, I would say the messaging from the scientific community has got better i think they've they've gone for, they've gone to pitching solutions rather than ter- trying to describe the problem when this first came out, I, re- I remember working with with an energy company, and it was clear that um, pictures of polar bears stranded on little chunks of ice didn't really communicate with the public. They were going, "Well, that's thousands of miles away, and is it true?" and and it was the stuff that the, the stuff that sort of brings it home to you is um, is the stuff that you sort of experience yourself. Everybody knows the weather's changing, um, so I, I would I would say the the sort of communication that where it's been. Less number driven and closer to home has been much more successful. Much mm. more successful. Um, I think the, the downside of that is that since 2017 is that, and I think we feel this across all walks of life, where the pond the pond has been muddied by a lot of people. You know, um, I don't really want to talk about President Trump, but uh, you know, you, you've 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 got certain strands of political life where they're determined to try and protect the the way that the world used to be, um, and to pr- and to promote a counterfactual agenda. And there's been enough of that to muddy the pool quite substantially. And to there, there have also there have also been a number of um, you know. Businesses that are invested in the status quo, um, largely fossil fuel companies, um, who have said one thing in public, but actually behind the scenes have been supporting lobbyists who, are, who who are there to try and put a break on climate change action. Yeah, so so it's it's been it's definitely a bit of a curate's egg. I think I think the real the real gulf is between is is largely generational. I think I think most young people understand. That this is real, that this is happening, this is likely to affect them quite dramatically in the future, and there's an older generation, you know, fifty-five plus, that are not quite putting their heads in the sand, but you know, 
just sort of want it to go away and to carry on life with life as it is. And I think the the missed the missed opportunity in that for for even for even um, that older segment to go. Actually, things could be better. You know, um, I mean, somebody said to me recently, you know, if every car in London was changed to an electric was changed to an electric vehicle, it would be quiet, <laughs> and you wouldn't have that. I used to when I lived in New York, I used to live between the the Manhattan bridges in an area called Dumbo, you know, down under Manhattan Bridge mm-hmm. overpass, and it was noisy, you know, the rumble of the traffic and all the rest of it. But so that's that, that thought really appealed to me. I was like. Wow, you know that would be yeah that you know and when you th- when you think about the the number of ailments and, and children suffering with you know with asthma and all the rest of it and the, the sort of poor air quality in some of the major cities, that whole idea you think that's actually a really attractive idea for um you know no matter what age you are mm-hmm. um, and and that so the sort of the the ability to point out the 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 really you know this is old fashioned marketing you know let's let's talk about let's talk about the benefits you mm. know um you know we've we've talked about features we've talked about features long enough let's let's get to the benefits and let's talk let's you know get sort of big vision of what that could be and and what the difference would be and i think that that's the type of things it's likely it's likely to get us to a, a place where more and more members of the public think this is a great idea enter the role of the marketer and actually the more that you talk the one of the reasons i like podcasting and having conversations like this is sometimes it it kind of dawns on me or helps me see things from a different perspective or sometimes i just forget things that are maybe right in front of me and very obvious and one of the things that i was just thinking about as you were talking is just how much opportunity and how powerful the role is for the marketer in communicating so taking the essence of the scientific message and communicating that Bringing it full circle back to what you were discussing originally, you were talking about your interest and experience in copywriting, and it's just marketing principles. As you just described there, we've talked maybe about the features long enough. Maybe now it's the marketer's chance to really take responsibility for discussing and promoting the benefits. I'm just interested to know with that view, do you see the marketers and marketing agencies hold maybe a critical role in how the world views climate change and just everything we're discussing related to eco-friendliness and sustainability anybody who's in a senior marketing position in a major in a major business probably has their hands full um already it's not a secret that in in many organizations the cmo um the chief marketing officer isn't necessarily a board member and sometimes when they are um i had i had one um, senior marketing person who who was on the board of a of a major organization said to me, you know, I'm on the board, but they don't listen to me. You know, mm. I've got I've got a budget of you know four or five million. The guy sitting next to me's got a budget of seventy million. They don't really care why, <laughs> really care what I think. And I think that I think that that sort of brings you back to both the challenge and the opportunity for marketing here, because I think in in many in many ways, I've got a lot of sympathy for. For people who are trying to run um, very large, complex businesses, you know, it, you know, it's, it's easy to say, well, why don't you do this and why don't you do that? And when you when you're employing thousands of people and you've got loads of shareholders and, and all the rest of it and loads of customers, you just can't, you know, turn on a sixpence and and, and change the change the way things are done. It's a it's a process and it mm. takes time and it's an and it's an industrial scale problem. So, but there's definitely a, a role in there for persuasion for for marketing people to to grasp that thistle and say, look, let's start talking about not just not just what are the costs of of sustainability of, of you know well we can't afford to do this we can't afford to do well what are the opportunities and what are the benefits that are created by this for our customers and our communities that's the important thing for to sort of take those challenges and reframe them for the business so that the business understands that the the, the huge the huge potential upside for get for getting this right I mean one of the when you talk about businesses that are that are highly sustainable, people think you know it's you know the sort of sort of niche businesses or, or you know small businesses that are that are you know I hesitate to say that they're tree hugging and knitting sandals and all the rest. Of it. Mm-hmm. But but um, but Unilever are a fantastic are, have a fantastic sustainability agenda. You know they, they've the 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 things that they have done to um to 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 sort out the supply chain and um, to. To add, you know, sustainable measures throughout their business, they managed to take something like—I can't remember the exact figure—but something like a billion dollars off off their cost base just by thinking about things more clearly, and by by looking at it, looking looking for the opportunities to do the right thing, but to do the right thing well. 
and to gain the benefits from that. And I, th- and I think I think that's the, that's the real opportunity for marketing people to say, you know, to say, well, what what is the what is the vision of this? You know, what what how can we how can we describe this to people in a way that excites them and gets them gets them on gets them on board with it, um, to become you know better to become better customers. And I think. The underlying challenge, I think, is is what what I often call um get you will eventually get caught out if you don't move with the times and you don't set out to do the right thing um and you you sort of try and protect your short term selfish interest it catches up with you anyway it sometimes takes time and all the rest of it but it it will it will catch it will catch up with you for marketers that are maybe there thinking at a marketer level so anyone that's listening whether they're in-house or agency sides. I'm thinking there that you talked about it being an industrial scale problem. And there are many reasons that might suppress the marketer from really demonstrating or promoting the exact types of messages that they would really like to as a creative. However, one aspect of this industrial scale problem that might prevent a marketer from demonstrating that type of messaging as well is greenwashing. And I'm really interested to know, again, there's another marketing challenge to overcome. So anyone that's out there that's maybe listening that is working for a company that actually wants to promote messages related to sustainability, but is worried about accusations of greenwashing, what would your advice be to them? You're, that is a, it's an amazing question and it's a really incredibly tricky area because mm. with the best will in the world, you, you do want to talk about it. You do want to try and mm. do the right thing. But, um, it's not a phrase I like, but everybody's on a journey. Um, mm. nobody's perfect. You know, we're a million miles off where we need to be. Um, you probably did see that Mark, Mark Carney, um, the former governor of the Bank of England came a complete cropper, um, a couple of weeks ago where he's now working for some immense hedge fund and claimed that they were, they were carbon neutral. And then of course, every in the world went, yeah, but your funds are full of fossil fuels. You know, how can, <laughs> you, know, you know, that just doesn't make any sense. So, so I think that it's really about being, about having a genuine perspective on what you're doing and to say, mm. well, and just being honest about it and saying, well, what we're trying to do is this, and um, don't over don't overclaim in the first place. Bef- and before you start asking the public to do your job for you, you know, make sure your own house is in order. The, I think the other thing that's worthwhile pointing out here when we talk about sustainability, it's easy to keep on focusing on um, the environment because that's the that's the, that's it's not the easy thing to talk about. That's the thing that's sort of front and center yeah. in minds. But um, the the sort of classic definition of of um, sustainability encompasses what they call ESG, which is environmental, social, and governance. And the environmental part is easy to understand. We all know what that we all know what that is, which is about you know reducing your carbon impact. Um, the social part of it is a far more subtle idea. If you if you went back to sort of the the, the old economist Milton Friedman, who who thought that you know the business of business was business. This is all about the pursuit of pure profit within mm. the within the law, right? And that, that what that led to was people were like, well, well, what can I get away with? You know, what can I get away with? And that that sort of you know, how much money can I make and get away with it was the sort of output of of that philosophy and. Eventually, people go to jail with that philosophy. You know, mm. um, sometimes it takes a bit of time for people to catch up with it, but that, that is generally what happens. Um, but in reality, when when you when, if you look at what your business is really about, you know, you're there to serve customers and customers and communities. And you think, well, you can't a business can't survive without customers. You, you sort of need you sort of need customers, and the customers need a world in which they can live in which they can live in. Um, so, also, you, you, you sort of first the first premise of, of being in business must be to serve your customers and, and their communities, because um, that's that's the only way to sustain it. If your if your business is in the business of um, of making your customers sick and ill, and um, you know, and of destroying the the habitat in which they live, then that is just not that's you know. By definition, it isn't sustainable. Mm. So, so I mean, I think when you when you're looking at the different types of what, what sustainability means and how you can build that into your marketing, some some of it is absolutely fundamental to marketing because you you you're talking about well, let's put the customer. Everybody says let's put the customer first, um, you know, and we and then okay, we're going to frame this around what matters most to customers, um, what's good for the customer, um, and it, as soon as you start having those types of conversation. 
then it then it can make a real it can make a real difference to to how the business thinks about itself and how it builds its products and how it builds its propositions from how do we maximize revenue and and, and get the get the last nickel out of our customers to how do we serve them and and try and keep them well and happy for the long term and develop positive relationships with them it's not a completely different type of thinking but i think it's a type of thinking that marketing people are really good at um and it sort of takes you it takes you into that fundamental decision making space in a business where you're you're really talking about how the business operates how it deals with all of its stakeholders how it thinks about its impact in the wider world and crucially i think this is one of the things that really makes a difference to business performance is thinking about the the, the long term risks to the business i mean people have asked me well why do why do i think sustainability is a huge opportunity for people and when you look at all of the sort of financial performance, uh, there's a, a, a meta-analysis of um, fund performance done by NYU Stern um, University um, and the Rockefeller, Rockefeller Asset Management. And they, they, they concluded um, from all of these studies that good sustainability credentials, good ESG credentials were strongly associated with better management, which was strongly associated with better operational performance, which was strongly associated with better financial performance. And people said, well, how do you think that? How do you think that happens? And I think, and the answer I think is that people have got, a, people who go through that process have got a far better understanding of their, of their current and future risks. By planning properly for them and, you know, uh, and financially accounting for them, they just put themselves in a much better position. They're not going to find themselves two or three years down, down, down the line, you know, facing lawsuits or facing terrible PR consequences and, and getting their reputation trashed. They've just take, they've, they've, they've taken care, they've literally taken care of business. And your question was, you know, well, what can marketing do? And I, and I think that is genuinely the role for marketing is to say, well, let's let's reframe all of this. Let's reframe how we think about the the, the nature of our business. What we're going to talk about the vision of the, the vision of the business. We're going to talk about what matters most to our customers. We're going to talk about how we set, put our customers at the heart of the business, and about de- developing long term mutually beneficial relationships with your customers. And, and then off you jolly well go. And I think it makes a massive difference to the outcomes. Yeah, practicing what you preach is a big method. Kind of, that's the phrase that's coming to my mind as you're talking. And the other thing that I'm thinking, and you talked about this at the very beginning, is hiring. Actually, and I'm just interested um, in: is there anything that you specifically do when hiring to, I guess, ensure that the values of the people that you're hiring matches your intent as a company? Um, yes, 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 we do. I used, I used to have a colleague who ran, an, who ran another agency within a group of us, and he used to have what he called a no asshole policy, um, <laughs> which of course, you know, you've always got some, you've got some sympathy with it, but your question is a good one. How do you, how do you, how do you, how do you, um, how do you mandate that in a, in a setting where you, where you're, <laughs> able, where, where you're able to judge that? And, um, we, we sort we do have, we do have a reasonably rigorous interview process for that and you know for for determining cultural fit as well mm. as um as well as skills you know that that classic there's the classic phrase i think it comes from from managertools.com i don't know if, you, if any of your listeners follow manager tools um it's manager-tools.com which is a, a really long-running podcast with a couple of guys who talk about the practical ways you go about managing but they always talk about you know being being hired for your skills and fired for your people's skills or lack thereof <laughs> and lack and lack thereof it's absolutely critical but i mean just almost laughably we we um as part of the great, great resignation we, we lost a couple of people yes um over the past few months mm. and um not for any particular reason just because i think that's the way of the world right now mm-hmm. and um it's it left us in our creative department with, with a with a real predominance of blokes and i looked around and thought this we become suddenly incredibly blokey um so we intentionally went out and hired two women you know it sounds a bit you know that sort of positive discrimination mm. but it does it but it's really i think it's really important that you have a degree of balance in what in what you're doing that um not that there's anything wrong with being a bloke but but you know i think there's you know there, there's there's definitely sort of cultural um and attitudinal and behavioral styles that come with having too many too many of what too many of one thing um you end up with a bit of group think so we're sort of we're keep we're keen to we're keen to sort of keep to to the, the governance of the business the, the way we're the way we're structured is as diverse as we can get it in a in a way but equally that the the interests of the people who want to work for us are are sort of aligned with with that 
but yeah. as you but as you say, it's, it's, it's particularly hard to um, it's particularly hard to uh, to put it out in in some sort of formal process. I mean, mm. the the, cla- the classic interview thing. I mean, and I've, I've I've done enough interviews that you know, often you can tell by the way somebody walks in walks in a room. Um, you know, um, whether the vibes right or not. You know, and 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 the the rest of the interview, the rest of the hour's interview is trying is trying to you know to to validate or otherwise that initial that initial perception and to to try and deal with your own biases as you as you do mm. them. But yeah, so it's a it's a definitely it's a it's a it's a great it's a great question at an interview level, at a human to human level, and at a marketing level. The thing that I keep coming back to uh, is sincerity both the audience and both you as a human, you can sense, I think, sincerity. Or at least I, I feel that way. Maybe I feel that way. Maybe I'm a bit biased because I'm a marketer and I look at a lot of this content. But generally, I can get a good idea from someone and you get that feeling whether a brand or whether a person is being sincere and whether in, intent is genuine. And I think that's just why this is such a, particularly the topic of greenwashing is so important to me because there have been so many businesses that maybe promote, you just discuss some examples or businesses or people that promote or talk about their sustainable values and then don't live up to them. And so that's really disappointing when you are a consumer or when you're a fan of a product or a service. And actually just on that topic, I'm really interested to know from you the good and bad examples that you've seen or that you're seeing right now. So businesses or brands or maybe even people that you think do a really good job of promoting messages related to sustainability that feel sincere and those that maybe don't, if you're that confident or <laughs> comfortable in sharing them publicly. I think, you know, that, that's the first time I've heard somebody use the word sincerity in this context. And that struck me as being really powerful. I think, you know, everybody, everybody talks about greenwashing and, you know, and being transparent and all the rest of it. And, and some of, some of that you end up in this sort of weird business, business, business speak, you know, mm. um, and people say, what, what, what is, what is transparency? But I mean, I think the, um, I think the word sincerity is the first time I've heard somebody say that. And that, that really, that really strikes a chord with me. I think there's, we, we're in a we're in a world where there is far there is far too much cynicism, and um, you know what you can get away with, um, sort of thing. And I, th- I think that's a, it's sort of important. And I mean, don't I won't I won't name them in particular, but there was there was there was one there is one very well known large fossil fuel company that um, they went out in public and they, they put and it's one of these things that sounds incredibly innocuous. You can imagine how it happened on a on a Friday afternoon in their in the in their marketing comms team who said, let's put a let's put a Twitter poll and we'll ask the public what they are doing to reduce <laughs> to reduce carbon emissions, you know? And they got absolutely flamed, you know, from and it was everybody from the, the American Senator AOC to 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 the to the loads of climate scientists saying, well you know, sit down. You know, what are you doing? You know, everybody knows what your track record is, mm. um, and it, it, you know, you you sort of you you hope that it's that it's sort of um, the law the law of just you know incompetence rather than malice. But you know, the the, the that the, the particular uh, fossil fuel company I'm talking about do not have a good record on that. You know, right. they've sort of like the 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 behaved in the way that big big tobacco used to used to behave where you know they've they've done enough to try and muddy the pool and, That's and put, put lobbying in the background so sincerity i think sincerity sincerity is a beautiful is a beautiful way of phrasing it but i think in in many instances what you're left with is there's a spectrum i suppose on the one hand there is a bunch of there is some cynicism equally there's um the the i think audi got done over as well where and i think this was just another sort of well-meaning faux pas where they they put out an ad about um gender balance and diversity and all that and um you know i, I was a father and a, a, a little girl in a, in a go-kart or something and it was all very emotional and the, the, as soon as they, they launched it all all that started doing the rounds was a picture of their board which is which was a, a lot of elderly white men it wasn't a woman to be seen anywhere in it so so you, you can sort of you can sort of imagine how it happens um but you would think in this day and age it would take and, and, and I know I was sort of joking about our, our own attempts to, to balance up gender diversity. You've got, you've, mm. you can only imagine that that Audi ad was put together by men mm. and that not one of them stopped to think for a second the likely interpretation of that. And when it landed in the public, what were people likely to ask about their own behavior and their own standards and, you know, how their own, gov- what was their own governance like and what were their own careers for women like? You can sort of, sort of imagine how, how that stuff plays out. Um, so yeah, and uh, you know, 
on the on the positive side, you know, there, there are well-meaning uh, you know efforts to to do the same. I mean, I, I talked about I talked about SSE. I mean, SSE mm. genuinely. I mean, it's not. It's probably not a household name that people would really would really think of. Um, but when we're talking about an industrial scale problem, you know, somebody who's setting out with genuine industrial scale solutions to try and uh, try and address it and address their own challenges um I've, they're they're ve- they're very impressive i mean if you look at somebody like orsted um I mean, so, some of some of some of the and, and this is le- this is less than, i suppose the reason i'm talking about less than the consumer domain if you end up in the consumer domain it becomes really really quite tricky where the classic phrase of reduce, reuse, recycle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everybody wants to talk about um, recycling, and do you, nobody goes out and says, "Would you please buy less washing powder?" You know, so so the whole the whole thing's framed. The whole thing's framed slight. If you're if you're in in the consumer's good market, goods market, you end up in this odd space where, in reality, what you'd ask people to, to do is something that would that would that would not necessarily be in the short term good for your business. Um, you'd have to think about having different ways of doing it. You know, this is not an idea I'm selling to anybody currently. But yeah, you'd have to think about: well, should the should the packaging be smaller? Should the should the washing powder be more concentrated? Should the transport of it? You know, all of that kind of stuff. Should it be in recyclable bottles? So there's loads of there's loads of sort of things that you would end up having to really think about really deeply about your your product, as opposed to saying to the customer, "Would you mind turning your 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 washing machine down to thirty degrees?" You know, that's sort of it's, it's not childish, but but it's sort of it's sort of a little bit disingenuous, really. Um, but if you look at the, the sort of industrial scale. Um, People who have done it, people like Orsted, who turned themselves completely from a fossil fuel company into a completely renewable company, and, you know, absolutely incredible um, turnarounds, where it's been a genuine response to to a massive a massive challenge, you know. Um, and the, I think the greenwashing thing, I think it comes back to to your point of sincerity. You know, I think if people are are trying to do their best. Um, and everybody, everybody appreciates that, that that a big business can't turn on a can't turn on a six bins, That it's going to take years for people to sort to sort this stuff out um, and to become you know net zero businesses. There's nobody really who's who's in a position to um, to crow about it. You know, I think it's 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 a genuine it's a genuine struggle. And but the opportunities are there. I mean, you're looking at the car manufacturers. You know how fa- how fast can they start make can they can they power up their their electric vehicles? You know, mm. there's, so there's, there are big there are big opportunities. This is difficult to quantify, but my view is that generally, uh, I think the general public maybe are more alert now in 2021, let's say, than five years ago, as to when brands aren't sincere and are promoting messages related to sustainability that aren't true, and that can backfire. I think I'm just interested, like I said, it's hard to quantify, but do you think there is a more general alertness from the public to those issues than there were five years ago? That's another really good question. When I, when I used to work on a lot of energy businesses, I can't remember the exact stat, but it was something, it was something like the average person thought about their energy account for five minutes a year. A lot of the government... Um, you know, animus was was around. You know, why don't you switch your energy for a, for a different provider, and that will keep the market competitive. Hmm. And of course, all of the energy providers were in the were in the market for um, stasis. You know, they were like, let's not. If the customers do nothing, then that will that will save us money because the costs of transferring business are, are quite quite hefty. Hmm. Um, so, and this this is sort of every every market knows this that you know you, you end up with this. Um, what I call you know the the club biscuit problem, where it where it looms it looms so large in your mind that it, that it's out, it's out of all proportion to the customer to the customer's um, per- perception of it. I mean, the, this mm. chocolate club biscuit came from um, came from a story that was that was told by one of the planning directors of Goodbees when he when he was in, a, in planning in England, and him and the account director went along to see, went along to see the client at, ch- at club chocolate biscuits, and the client said, you know. We've managed to put an extra micron of chocolate on the, on, on the biscuit, and when the housewife sees how much chocolate or the biscuit is, they're going to be breaking down the supermarket's doors. And he said, "said so the accountant leaned forward and said, it's only a fucking chocolate biscuit.' <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, um, so I think, so I think that's part of the challenge. We're saying, well, 
how 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 much are people really thinking about greenwashing? How much the answer is right. no, they're thinking about getting the kids to school, they're thinking about have my kids caught COVID, they're thinking about what what's for tea tonight. Um there are a few people who are very passionate about it. And probably there is more general awareness that the weather's changing, the climate's changing, and that something has to be done. But is it on most people's radar most of the time, most of the day? I would say the I would say the answer's not. This is this is why, you know, I keep on I keep on saying this that the putting the onus on the public to think about this and do this is misguided. I think mm. we, can, we can rely on the we can rely on the public um to support it and to vote for it and to do other things. But the onus must be on business and on government to lead the way and to set the structures in place to make this happen. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example and, you know, you'll forgive me if this sounds, this sounds quite complex. Mm-hmm. But, um, the marginal cost of renewable energy is close to zero. You know, once you put, once you put a, a, a wind farm in place and the wind blows or a solar array and, and the sun shines, right? The marginal cost of that electricity is close to zero. It's incredibly cheap. And the weird sort of, Alison, through the looking glass challenge with it is that, you know, when, when something's incredibly cheap, investors say, well, what's the point of investing in it? You know, I'm not going to make any money back. So the government has to set up a structure in which the investors who invest in the capital structures that produce that almost zero cost energy are rewarded for doing so. If the government's not going to do it itself, it has to set the structures up, and that's that's really the the key to um to getting the the, the underlying development done. But who's going to put in the electric charging points for all those cars? How are they going to be paid for that? How are the how are the people who invest in that going going to be rewarded at the same time as keeping the electricity cheap enough for people to drive their cars? Mm. So there's all all of those are massive society level questions that are to do with political structures and political will. Um and it it's not they're not re- it's really difficult for the man in the street and the woman in the street to to affect those. You know, how you know, the the the, the average person, um, you know, would really talk like to talk about contracts for difference to, to help the, you know, to help the investors build more wind farms and solar and all that. And they're like, well, I don't know, you know, mm. <laughs> I don't know what I can do about that. And it, that's, that's why the, the 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 whole focus on sustainability really really rests with government, yes, and 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 international governments. But when it comes to lar- to very large businesses, it comes it comes back to them as well, and and that. The responsibility in there, I think this is the thing you were getting at. You know, the, not necessarily the, the the responsibility, but the opportunity lies with marketing to then figure out the the opportunities to to make this a better world, to make a mm. better product, to to have a better relationship with your customers, to to you know to protect the customer, to you know to to protect this world we're living, to make sure that there's a a, a planet, a habitable planet in 50, 100, 200 years time that, that your business will be sustainable, your customers will still be there, that it'll all be, they will have a robust uh, energy system and everybody will be happy, you know. That's a great way to close out today's episode and I think, yeah, a key message that I've received there is, you know, there there is lots at play and there, it is an industrial scale problem and like you said, maybe there is too much pressure on individuals or the public to solve some of these problems but marketers are in a powerful position. And for me, it's kind of do your bit. Um, if you act with sincerity, you, yeah, you think of the principles that we've discussed in this episode today and lead with sincerity, then maybe you can do your bit and help support sustainability and for a better world for us all to live in. At the hour that we spent together is flying past. But um, just before we do close out, if people want to learn more about this topic, whether more broadly or specific to marketing, are there any resources that come top of mind for you that you kind of go to, whether it's books, podcasts, and there's a, anything yeah. yourself that you want to promote as well? Um, plus, the simplest thing to do, um, there is a free digital download on our website. So if you go to alwaysbecontent.com, um, you will find you'll be able to find your way to the to the book. But but more more generally, there there are a couple of really specific things that I think would be worthwhile anybody looking at because it, may, it sometimes you come to these kind of things you think. Oh god, industrial scale problem. Oh my god, how do <laughs> how do I address that? Right, and fortunately, loads of people have done the work for you. Um, so, the, if you go to the B Corp, and um, B Corp has a very simple um, self assessment form 
B Corp is the sort of um, global standard for sustainability for business. Um, and lots of people, have, lots of small businesses have got it, but you know, Ben and Jerry's, for example, are a B Corp. So there's lots of real large scale businesses in there. And they've, they've, got, a, they've got a system where in order to get the B Corp accreditation, you have to get 80 points on their little self-serve forum. Um, and you start off thinking, oh, this is great. This is going to be, this is going to be easy. <laughs> um, and then you get to 60 points. You go, ah, this is, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, and it, it is one of these things, if you do honestly, and you're honest with, you know, again, as you, you, you use your word, Scott, if you do it with sincerity, it sort of brings you alive to the challenge, to some of the challenges that you face, you know, about what, um, not just about in, you know the environmental stuff, but about your 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 diversity policies, about the way your business, the, mm. the governance of your business, and so that's one e- that's one relatively easy way to do it. And I, and, and I think you know if you want to to spend a couple of hours having a quick skim through that, it would it would probably give you know give you a bit of an idea. The other couple of things that are that are worth doing um, is if you had a look at the uh, the UN S- Sustainability Development Goals, there are only seventeen of them. Um, and it, I always again, it's one of these odd things. I quite looking at, like looking at them in reverse because in reverse they sort of make sense for a business. Um, you know, the, the the first the seventeenth one's about about partnerships, um, and so who who else can you work with in your industry in your sector to to make this happen? You know, who who internationally is doing is doing the kind of thing you're trying to do. This, the next one is your know, is number sixteen is peace, justice, and strong institutions. You know, if your business. You know, wants to work in a in a society. You know, it's really hard to do business in a war in a war zone. Do you know I mean? Um, so it's, these are re- they sound really lofty, but um, they're the kind of things where um, I, I worked for years on a, on a, on an investment company called Franklin Templeton, and Mark Mobius, who was our global investor, um, of, often um, worked in you know third world countries. And the rule of law, you know, for successful investments, the rule of law and having really strong institutions is fundamental to the to the operation of of of, of markets that are fair and transparent. So that so you think that's important. Then you go fifteen life on land. Yeah, well that would be quite good. Eh? You know, if we're, if we would quite like to live. Life and life below water, yeah, that would be good. Um, <laughs> cli- climate action is number thirteen, and if you work your way backwards, you know, responsible consumption and production. All right, how do we tune our production um, to be more responsible? How do we tune our sales efforts to sell uh, a ways a ways that are sustainable? Um, sustainable cities and c- communities number eleven. Um, reduced inequalities. Does anybody believe in un- unfairness? No, we don't. Um, you know, number nine, industry innovation and infrastructure. That sounds like something a business could talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, number eight, decent work and economic growth. Um, you know, number seven, affordable and clean energy. Number six, clean water and sanitation. Five, gender equality. Number four, quality education. Where are your future workforce coming from? Where mm-hmm. the tra- where's the training come from? Three, good health and well-being. Um, very important. To zero hunger. Who believe who who believes you know children should be going hungry? Um, and number one, no poverty. So, so I think you know that as as you start when you get to that that bottom level, they become more fun. They that sort of one, two, three, four. They become more fundamental. And sometimes you think from a business perspective, you think, well, po- poverty is not really my problem, is it? Mm-hmm. You know, and hunger is not really my problem. But if you, if you start if you start at the big end. At the sort of at the sort of what I feel is like the business the business end of them, <laughs> and work your way backwards. The, the the ones that are sort of at the top of the pyramid make a lot more sense to you when, by the time you sort of get to them. And obviously that's from the UN. That's got an international perspective. Mm. But equally, when you're if you're in business, then you can sort of see how they can, they can sort of apply they can apply to you. And then if you look at, um, I would also say there's also something called SDGCompass.org, and they've got a really simple model for. Um, for applying the, the sustainable development goals to your business, and it, it's really five step model. Understanding the SD, this, I'm going to say the SDGs, the sustainable development goals. Um, two, defining your priorities. So how do how do if you look to those seventeen, you might go well. Number five, six, seven, and eight, they don't apply to me, but the other the other doesn't do. Um, so and then how how would I prioritize them in my own business? Number step three, set some goals. Okay, I've, these are my priorities. How am I going to? I now know what they are. How am I going to? What steps am I going to take? Um, number four, how do you integrate those into your current practices? You know, it might be a process. It might take years to do it, but you've got to start somewhere. And then finally, how do you report and communicate about it? And that sort of communicating thing comes comes back full circle to our entire conversation, Scott, around, well, 
we're on a, we're on a we're in a process here, aren't we? Where, mm. What are we start? What are we starting with? So, and, and you can sort of see immediately in that model. You say, right, our priority is X. We're going to talk about X. Um, we're not going to overclaim that we're doing all seventeen. We're not telling people we're the full, we're the finished article. Um, when we're report, we're going to report on this, and then we're going to communicate about that we, well, how we're doing. We're going to do it with sincerity, which mm. is my my new favourite word. <laughs> um, so, so I think you know the, the, there's lo- there are lots of resources out there to help you. But I mean, between the B Corp, um, the UN Sustainable Development Goals, and the SDG Compass, I think you know it, most market people are market people are extremely clever. Um, and you know, if you if you wanted to, um, I, you know, and I mean this sincerely, if you if you're not the CMO but you'd like to be, I think this is a great area for you to get your teeth into, um, to understand all of this stuff and to get ahead of the game and be able to talk about it. And you know that that if if your current company isn't listening to you um, on that front, you you'll be able to find somebody who will, who will want to listen because there'll be. In the coming years, there'll be a great appetite for um, professionals who know how to talk about this stuff, who understand it, and um, you know, and who have the right values to implement it, to define it, and implement it. You're one of those companies, and so before we do uh, close out the episode, do you want to let people know where they can find out more about you, connect with you, whether that's individually or always be content. Yeah, you can. You, you'll find always be content at alwaysbecontent.com, obviously. You'll find me on LinkedIn. I, I gave up Twitter a number of years ago, so it's mm-hmm. making me incredibly angry on a daily basis. But um, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Just uh, Pete, just look for Pete Martin. Um, there's probably a million of them. But um, if you find you know, Pete Martin, I'll always be content. It should be fine. Wonderful. And you shared some resources towards the end of there. So I'll make sure that I link to those and any other resources that we discussed today in the show notes. For now, Pete, I'll just say thank you for your time. It's been a really interesting episode. I've learned a lot. So really appreciate you taking the hour out to speak to me. Fabulous, Scott. I really appreciate it. Thanks. And to our listeners, uh, this has been the Internet Marketing Podcast. Take care. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.